Well, good morning, everyone. Um, it's an absolute pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much, Malcolm, for the invite to come and preach in Watford. Um, for those of you who don't know, my name is Christian Xavier. Um, along with my wife, Temi, we are in the northwest region of the London church. Um, we work with, like Malcolm shared, the teens and the young professionals. Um, yes, and we, so we have the pleasure of working with the teens and the young professionals. We're also preparing to move to Cardiff to lead the church out there, um, which will be a crazy and exciting adventure. Um, if you know me, um, or even just sharing a bit about myself, if, if you had known me 10 years ago, maybe even five years ago, and I was to tell you I'm in this position now, um, it wouldn't have been me. Um, and so it's, it's all glory to God, because God works in mysterious ways. Um, you know, growing up, knowing who God is, kind of getting to know who God is for myself, I never had a dream of um, working for the church in a full-time capacity. Um, and even as I became a disciple, I never had a dream of working for the church in a full-time capacity. But God so willed it that there was an opportunity, and he saw that he could use me um, and Temi in, in these ways. And so we're grateful for the opportunity to do so. And we look forward to going to Cardiff. Um, you know, it's not a place I dreamt of going to, but it's, it's exciting nonetheless. And it's exciting to be somewhere new, um, to, to lead a church, and to also spread the gospel in a new city, in a new country. Um, but I know you guys have been looking at men and women in the Bible. I know mean, you've looked at Ruth and Boaz, Joe, um, Jesus and his mother, and Priscilla and Aquila, and a lot more. And so I thought we could continue in that same theme, looking at Jesus and Mary Magdalene. Um, now, despite there not being many scriptures on Mary Magdalene, there is still a lot that we can learn from her and from the times that she's mentioned in the Bible. Um, you know, she plays a pivotal role in Jesus' resurrection, um, especially. And that's what we kind of heard in the scriptures. We'll look back in it as we go through. Um, but let's look at her interactions with Jesus, where she's come from, and where she gets to, and the impact that she has on us, um, as well as society at the time. But before we do so, um, let's go to God in prayer. Um, Father God, um, we're so, so grateful for the word and for the opportunity to come together to worship, to sing songs of praise, um, and to be in this building where we can um, just lift your name up on high, lift your name up on high um, to do so freely, um, to be in Watford, Lord God. I'm so grateful for all the, the things that you're doing here, even to hear the connections with different Christians in Watford, Lord God, is just encouraging to see. Um, I pray that as I speak this morning, Lord God, that you can use me um, to say the words that you need me to speak, Lord God. May your, may your Holy Spirit speak through me at this time, um, and may the words I say be the ones that you need me to say, not the words I want to say, Lord God. Um, be with everyone in this room, touch every heart, so that we can leave feeling closer to you. Sing your sons and that we pray. Amen. Amen. So, yes, my first point this morning is Jesus brings opportunity. And please turn with me to Luke chapter 8. We'll read verses 1 and 2 of Luke chapter 8. And this is the first time that Mary Magdalene is mentioned in the Bible. In verse 1 it says, After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. And we'll stop there. So this is the first mention of Mary Magdalene in the Bible. This is the first thing that we see about her. She's someone who's following Jesus, but she's someone who had demons cast out from her. You know, from this, we can kind of see a bit about Jesus and his ministry. You know, he's traveling from town to town, from village to village, proclaiming, preaching, teaching the word of God, helping people to see who God is at that present time. And the people that are with him is key. It says that he's got the 12 with him. So the 12 men that he chose to be his disciples, his apostles, those who would pass on his knowledge to then go and spread the word, they're with him. And then it talks about there being women with him. And one of those women being Mary Magdalene. And as we see, you know, Mary Magdalene is traveling with Jesus. She's not known much about beforehand, but all we know is that before knowing Jesus, she was demon possessed. You know, demon possession wasn't, and as you can imagine, something that society would look upon and be like, oh, she's demon possessed. You know, in fact... When you were demon-possessed in those times, 
you were cast out by society. No one was fond of you. Nobody wanted to be around you. And understandably so. You know, imagine if you were walking down the street today and you saw somebody who was demon-possessed. I don't think your first thought would be, let me go and speak to this person. You're probably thinking, I need to turn the other way. What's wrong with them? And kind of stay away from them because they're demon-possessed. You know, in Mark 5, um, verses 1 to 20, it talks about a man who is demon-possessed. And we won't read it, but it talks about this man who is demon-possessed and is, he's known as Legion. Um, he's known as Legion because there's many, many demons possessing this man's body. And he's so um, scary to society, he's so not wanted by society, that he's living in tombs. So he's not in society, he's not living amongst family or amongst friends, he doesn't have a home, he's living in the tombs of dead people. Um, the, the demons that had possessed him were so out of control that he couldn't be bound by chains. So normally in that kind of circumstance, if you were really, really crazy and people couldn't, didn't know what to do with you, they'd try and bound you with chains or iron so that you couldn't cause destruction on the people around you. But this man who was possessed by this demon called Legion was so out of control that they couldn't even bind him by chains or by iron. He had no family. He had no friends. You know, to live in a tomb or living in tombs, going from tomb to tomb, is not the ideal place to live. You know, it's not like today we have cemeteries. You don't imagine people living in cemeteries. But that's what it was for this man. He was so possessed that he was living in tombs. He wasn't accepted or wanted by anybody, not even his own family. And for Mary Magdalene, she would have had a similar lifestyle. She may have not been living in tombs, but she wouldn't have been accepted by society because she was demon-possessed. She would have been rejected, isolated, and hopeless. Secondly, what we see from her is that she's a woman following Jesus. Now, if you know about the times of when Jesus was alive, you know, women weren't the most popular people at the time. You know, Jesus was well-known by this time. He was called a rabbi, which was a teacher. And so teachers of the time had many followers. People would follow them wherever they went because they wanted to learn from these teachers. But not only to follow them, but to walk with them and to see how they lived their life and say, okay, how can I be like this teacher? Because they respected that person and they wanted to be like them. But their followers were men. The men would follow the teachers, not the women. But yet we see that with Jesus, women were following him. And one of these women was Mary Magdalene. But this went against the societal norms. You know, women at the time were meant to be seen, but not heard. In the house, cooking the food, looking after the children, but not being prominent figures that we see women that interact with Jesus become to be. You know, women weren't meant to be following rabbis, let alone somebody like Jesus. Yet Mary Magdalene followed Jesus very, very closely. You know, she learned from his every interaction and served him at any given opportunity. Jesus brought her an opportunity and she grabbed it with both hands. You know, when you think about Mary Magdalene and her life before knowing Jesus, it wouldn't have been ideal. She was demon-possessed, she was a woman, and she was ostracized from society. So she had nobody to go to. Already women in the time were already looked down on, but then to be demon-possessed on top of that meant she had nobody whatsoever. She didn't have children to go and spend time with or a husband that she could rely on. She was isolated and alone. Nothing had been going right for her at this time. But it's amazing to see that when she sees Jesus and when Jesus sees her, he doesn't judge her. He doesn't judge her and say, you're demon-possessed, I can't interact with you. But instead, he takes her at where she's at, he heals her, casts the demons out, and in that time, she says, I'm going to follow Jesus now. Her life is changed because Jesus brings an opportunity for her. You know, by healing Mary Magdalene, Jesus provides her with something she never had, a second chance at life, and not an ordinary life, but a life to the full, a chance to speak to people, to interact with people, to share her own faith, to walk around, to, to do simple things that she couldn't do before because she was demon-possessed. But the fact is that Jesus brought her an opportunity and she grabbed it with both hands. You know, for us this morning, where are we at? 
You know, what opportunities is Jesus bringing before us? And are we grabbing those opportunities? Please turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we'll read verses 17 to 21. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we'll read verses 17 to 21. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You know, seeing this passage, we see that when Jesus is in our lives, we're a new creation. We're not what we were before, but we're something new. We're changed, we're transformed because of the opportunity that Jesus brings through his sacrifice on the cross. You know, for Mary Magdalene, she'd become a new creation because of the opportunity Jesus had given her. You know, Jesus didn't look at her, her state, her demon possession, and say, okay, well, I can't interact with you. And similarly for us today, Jesus doesn't look at our every sin and question whether we're worth it. He doesn't look and say, oh, well, you know, you're not going to listen in two, in two years' time, so I'm not going to give you the chance. Or, you know, when you step out of this building and you drive your car down the road and you have a, a, a difficult interaction, when you lose your temper, I'm going to consider that. No, Jesus is going to look, look past that and still give you the opportunity because that's who Jesus is. You know, he didn't come down to earth knowing that we wouldn't all listen to him. We wouldn't all obey him and say, okay, well, I'm not going to die on the cross. He still said, I'm going to give my all to bring opportunity for everybody because he wants us all to have a relationship with him and his father in heaven. You know, when you think about your life, your past doesn't matter. For Jesus, your past doesn't matter. Instead, with Jesus, you have an opportunity because through him, you're made to be a new creation. You know, when you think about that, do you value being a new creation? Do you value the opportunity you have through Christ Jesus? Do you value the opportunity to be something different, to be something greater than you were before? You know, when you look at Mary Magdalene, before she knew Jesus, she was demon-possessed. Nobody spoke to her. Nobody interacted with her. She had no family or friends around her. But as soon as she knew Jesus, the demons were cast out. She's known now. She's mentioned in the Bible because of the way Jesus gave her an opportunity, and she grabbed it with both hands. You know, Mary Magdalene was healed by Jesus, and being given this second chance, she was grateful. You know, she was grateful, and that meant that she desired to be with Jesus at any given moment, to see him day to day, to see how he interacted with people, how he taught people, how he showed people who God was, you know, to learn from him at any given opportunity, so that when it was her chance, she could then replicate that and do the same for others, but also to serve Jesus and to give back to him, somebody who had changed her life completely. She had went from somebody who had nobody to then had Jesus as her teacher and her leader, somebody who she could follow and people that she could interact with on a daily basis. She wanted to give back because she was grateful for what Jesus had done for her. And this wasn't temporary. This wasn't a moment of, okay, I'm going to serve him for a little bit, and then I'm going to go back to do something else, or I'm going to try this, or I'm going to see what life has to offer. No, Mary did this for her entire life. In um, John chapter 19, verse 25, it says, Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. You know, when you think about this moment in time, Jesus is dying on the cross. He's bearing our sins on the cross. And you would think that the people that are going to be there to witness this, to support him, to be there for him, would be the people that are close to him. And yet we see that one of those people, along with his mother and Mary, the wife of Cleopas, is Mary Magdalene. 
it tells you a lot about her heart. The fact that right until Jesus' death, she's there. She's not left him. She's not said, okay, well, everybody's left, so I'm going to leave. She's there right until the very end. You know, when you think about the build-up to Jesus' death on the cross, it wasn't a good time. You know, so many people had left him and deserted him. The 12 had gone. One of the 12 had betrayed him. Peter, the one who he said was going to build the church, had denied him. People had left Jesus alone. But yet, he's there dying on the cross, and Mary Magdalene is right there with him to support him, to be there, to follow him right until the very end. Her heart was full of gratitude to say, I'm going to serve Jesus to the very, very end. You know, for me, when I think of gratitude, I think of birthdays. I think of the time to celebrate a birthday. You know, when birthdays are amazing, and you get a time to celebrate your life with your family, with your friends, and just do whatever you like. You know, when it's your birthday, everybody kind of homes in on you. And they're like, how can we celebrate you? How can we give you praise and give you thanks? And it's a time to be thankful. You know, it's a time to reflect and think about all the ways in which you are grateful for what you have in life. And you start to maybe dream as your birthday approaches about maybe things you want. You know, as a teenager, I would often dream about a new pair of trainers. I loved trainers as a teenager. So my first thought was, oh, what trainers can I ask my parents for? Which ones are the most expensive? I want to make sure that I get the top, top ones. I go back to school and be like, this is what I got for my birthday. Or maybe there was a game coming out and it's like, oh yeah, I want that game. Um, or maybe it was an outfit or jewelry or whatever it might be. But when your birthday comes around, you start to dream and think about things that you would like to celebrate your birthday. But people bring you gifts because it's your birthday, but also because they're grateful for who you are. You know, your friends might give you something and say, because, because they appreciate you. Your family will give you something because they love you, because they're grateful for who you are and where you're at in life. But as a result, you're then grateful in return, right? When you get a gift, you don't just take it. You say, thank you. You might give a card back. You might give something back. But you want to show your appreciation for the gift that's been given to you. You know, anytime I got something for my birthday when I was younger and I was grateful, I wanted my parents to know. I remember when I turned 13, my parents said, what do you want to do for your birthday? I said, oh, I want to have a Pizza Hut party. And they were like, a Pizza Hut party? And I said, yeah, I want to go to Pizza Hut, take my friends, and make our own pizzas. And they were like, um, okay. They didn't understand but they were, they duly were like, okay, let's do it. And they made it happen. And I was so grateful. As I remember going home and saying, thank you so much, mom and dad. Oh my gosh, all my friends came, they enjoyed it, and we had a great time. But I was grateful for what they had done. I was grateful for the gift and the, the ways in which they wanted to express their love for me through this. You know, gratitude drives you to do something, to do something, whether it's giving thanks or doing something, but you want to give back in gratitude. You know, it pushes you to act. You know, when we look at Mary Magdalene's life, she was driven by gratitude to do something back. You know, for you this morning, what drives you? What drives you this morning? You know, what motivates you? What pushes you to do something each and every day of your life? You know, I remember, I remember for me, something that really drove me was um, learning to pass my driving test. You know, growing up in London, I never really saw a need to drive. And so going around, there's buses, there's tubes, there's trains. It was like, why, do I, why bother driving? And so I never had a desire to drive as a, as a teenager. My friends started passing their tests, and I was like, great, that's great for you. I had no desire whatsoever. I was like, the public transport is there. I'm going to use it. It was free. I'm going to use it. And then I remember getting engaged and started thinking ahead to life. And then getting engaged with Temi, and I was like, okay, I probably should learn how to drive now. You know, it's not just me anymore. I can't be dragging Temi around on the public transport like this. Um, and so that made me start taking driving lessons. But I wasn't completely driven. And so I took about five or six, and I didn't do any more. We got married, and I hadn't passed my test. And in our first year of marriage, we got invited to so many different things all over the UK. 
And I was like, what is going on? I think like a month after we got married, one of our, one of our friends got married and it was outside of London and we're having to get a train out somewhere and then get an Airbnb and, and then we're having to rely on an Uber or a Lyft to get from the Airbnb to the wedding. And I was like, I need to drive. I was like, I need to drive. And so one of the things that motiv motivated me to drive was so that me and Temi weren't going around on public transport where we could get in the car and drive when we needed to. And so it pushed me. And so I, I booked some lessons and I said, I'm going to pass my test. I said, I'm going to take these lessons, I'm going to drive with my dad, and I'm going to pass my test first time. I'm not paying any more money. I'm going to get this done. Um, and I remember telling Temi, this is going to happen. And then she was like, okay. <laughs> but, but, you know, but, you know, historically speaking, people don't usually pass their test on the first go, especially when you're not driving frequently. And so maybe I was a bit optimistic. And so I went into my test, then I was like, I'm going to pass, I'm going to pass. Um, and then going into my test, my instructor, I was going to use his car, he said, I couldn't use this car anymore, and I'm panicking. I'm like, okay, what's going on? I call my dad, and he's like, you can use my car. I'm like, okay, great. And so I get to my test, and I'm like, okay, I'm using my, my dad's car, and I'm driving, and there's little things happening. And in your mind, when you've been doing tests, and if you drive, you know the minors and the majors. And you're thinking, okay, well, like, there's a few minors I can get away with, but the major, I make one major mistake, it's all over. And so I'm consciously thinking, okay, I don't want to make any mistakes to give a major and then just fail my test. And I remember pulling into a, a car parking lot, and there was a car coming towards me, and I thought I'd messed up and I failed. And so for the rest of the test, I was like, I think I failed. I'm just going to drive. And I, maybe I was a bit more relaxed. I don't know. And so I, I, in my head, I thought, maybe I failed the test. Maybe this was a, a mistake that I, I can't get away with. And I got back to the office, and I, and I sat down, and they said, you passed. And I was like, pardon? <laughs> and he said, you passed. And I said, oh, my gosh. Um, so I got in with all this confidence. But then my confidence started to wane when I thought I was making too many mistakes. But then I passed my test. And I thought back and I was like, well, I was driven. I was motivated because I had, a, I had a purpose in mind. I wasn't just driving for myself, but I was driving for myself and for Temi and now for our daughter. And so I had these things in mind to push me, to drive me, to motivate me. You know, I was driven to do whatever it took to pass my driving test. I was pushed because of it. You know, think about yourselves. The time when you've been driven, motivated to do something, to achieve something. It could be passing a test or getting a job or buying something, something what, what you've desired for a long time and you had to put in work to get there. But think about all the steps you've taken to get that one thing. Maybe it's waking up a bit earlier to study, staying up later to study. Maybe it's setting time aside to, to focus on that one thing, to learn a new skill. Maybe it's an instrument and it's, I wanna to learn to play a guitar, a piano, whatever it might be. And so you set time aside to learn because you want to grow. You want to be doing this and it's not just a, a dream, but it's something you actually want to fulfill. You know, what drove you to get it? Aside from the dream, were there people in your life pushing you, saying, oh, you can do this, you can get it, you, you can do it. Maybe it's your circumstances. For me, the driving, it was my circumstances that partly, that partly pushed me. Maybe it's the, it's the desire to be successful that's pushing you, that's driving you. Maybe just the, the sense of feeling good. You know, when you, when you achieve something, there's a good feeling inside. You feel like, yeah, I've done it. I achieved something. You know, whatever it is, you're willing to do anything to get it. You know, when you look at Mary, she was so grateful for Jesus, she was willing to then do anything for him. You know, are you grateful for what Jesus has done for you this morning? You know, when you think about your life and, and where you're at, are you grateful for what Jesus has done for you this morning? Thinking about your life before you knew who Jesus was, before you had any interactions with him, before you read the Bible, before you were in this building, and think about where your life was at beforehand, where you were at, where, how you were doing, and then comparing it to now. I'm not saying life is a bed of roses with Jesus, 
but I'm sure your life has been transformed with him in, his life, in your life. And when you think about going forward, does Jesus drive you? Does he drive you to do everything and anything that you do? You know, when you look at Jesus and all he done, he literally came down on earth and sacrificed his very life for you. He sacrificed everything he had for you. You know, he came to earth, he became a human, he went through temptation, he was betrayed, he was left lonely, he was deserted, even going to the cross, he was spat at, beaten, mocked, bruised, died on a cross. Also, you could have a chance to know him. Also, you could know his father in heaven, God. Are you grateful for Jesus in your life this morning? Does Jesus drive you to live a life for him? Or do you take a sacrifice for granted? Do you take for granted the fact that you have the Bible? Not just in paper form, but on your phone, on your tablet, on your computer. You have it there at the, at the readiness of your hand. And so you can turn to Jesus at any time. You know, the people when Jesus was alive didn't have this opportunity. They had to see him face to face. They didn't have the Bible like we have it now. They had to wait for Jesus to come and teach. Or somebody would have to pass on the message. Are you grateful for what you have through Jesus this morning? Or are you taking it for granted? Are you assuming that you've got all the time in the world? You know, for me, growing up in church, seeing my parents get baptized at a young age, I thought I had all the time in the world. I thought I could live my life, experience what I wanted to experience, try new things, and see what life had to offer. And when I was ready, then I would turn to Jesus. When it, when it felt right for me, I would turn to Jesus. But then as I, as I grew up, as I experienced life, I realized I've got to take my opportunity now. I can't wait for my opportunity later because my opportunity may, may not last forever. Jesus was bringing me an opportunity then and I needed to seize it at the time. You know, Mary Magdalene spent her entire life in gratitude to Jesus. You know, she didn't rest on her laurels thinking, oh, I'm no longer demon-possessed, so now I can go and do whatever I like. I can experience life how I, how I would want to. I can go and try new things. No, she committed her very life to Jesus up until the very end of his life. You know, for you this morning, will you take the opportunity Jesus has given you? Will you take the opportunity Jesus has given you, you know, to know him, to, the opportunity to, to have the Bible in front of you, to know who Jesus was, the life he lived, to walk with him, to make a decision to, to not only just know who he is, but to live your life for him, you know, to live with him and for him forever. To look at Mary Magdalene's example and say, well, if she was able to, to benefit from it, surely we can too. You know, to turn your life and say, okay, well, Jesus, what does it take for me to live my life for you? And will gratitude drive you to live your life for Christ? Every single day. Not days when you feel like it, when you wake up and you feel like, yeah, this feels like the day to follow Jesus. Or, you know, you wake up and the morning isn't going well. You wake up and the kids don't wake up on time. You're rushing the kids to get out of the house to get to school. You're running late for work. The car, Steph and Elisa spoke, they're tired, but do you still choose to live your life for Christ? Or do you let life circumstances get in the way? In the good and the bad, we need to be driven to live for Christ every single day. We may not know what the outcome is. We may not know what tomorrow holds. But with Jesus, we can rest assured that there is something that is going to be joyful in each and every day that we live with him. Jesus brings us opportunity. Will you take it? The second point that we can learn from Jesus and Mary Magdalene is not to give up. Don't give up. You know, as we see with Mary Magdalene, she was a faithful servant of Jesus Christ. She dedicated her life to him, and we see that more in some passages. Please turn with me to John chapter 20, and we'll read the passages that were read a bit earlier. Um, first in 1 to 3. John 20, verses 1 to 3. It says, Early on, the first day of the week, whilst it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. 
So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved, this being John, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. And so we'll stop there. You know, the point is don't give up. You know, even after Jesus' death on the cross, Mary is still keeping her way of life. You know, it's interesting to see that she's so grateful that even though Jesus has now died, she's still following him. She's still saying, okay, where is Jesus? And now she's going to his tomb to see where he is. But by this time, she's no longer joyful, but she's actually in a state of mourning, which is understandable. She's followed this man for her whole life since not being demon-possessed. And now he's gone. He's died. She's seen him die on the cross. But, you know, even just thinking about the circumstances, she, she herself is probably alone in this moment. You know, Judas has betrayed Jesus. The disciples have abandoned him. Peter's denied him. Nobody else is around. And so she's gone to the tomb and thinking, okay, well, let me go and check on his body. Let me make sure that everything is still okay. And as she goes to mourn there, she finds that the stone has been rolled away from the tomb and his body is missing. And in this moment, there's a sense of panic because this isn't how it should be, according to us as humans. You know, we wouldn't go to a gravesite and expect the tombstone not to be there or to see the, the mud dug up and you think, what's going on? And the coffin is missing. No, you would expect things to be as you left it because that's what you do. And similarly for Mary, she's not gone and thinking about Jesus and his mission and what he was about. She's just gone and thought, I'm going to the tomb to mourn and the tomb should be closed and his body should be in the tomb. But in this panic, she runs to Simon Peter and to John. And this kind of makes sense. You know, Peter was the one that Jesus said was going to build the church on. John was the one that he loved. So these are two men that should really be alarmed at the sight of Jesus' body not being in the tomb. And so she's run to them. She's told them what's happened. But it appears as if, as if nothing gets done. You know, later on, it reads on about them going, they discuss it, they look themselves, and then they go back to what they were doing before. So there's no alarm from Simon, Peter, and John. There's no sense of where is Jesus' body, the, to the, the tombstone is gone, or anything like that. They just almost go back to what they were doing before. Almost as if nothing had happened. But let's look at Mary Magdalene a little bit more in John 20, verses 10 to 18, and we'll see her interaction with Jesus and the desire not to give up. It says, now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the, to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he, that he had said these things to her. And we'll stop there. So what, what do we see from this interaction as we see Mary Magdalene in a state of mourning, but then interacting with Jesus? You know, for one thing, we see she's distraught. We see she is distraught that Jesus' body is still missing. Peter and John are not doing anything. And so she's in a state of dis distraught, in mourning still. You know, she's beside herself to the point that as she, she looks into the tomb to double check, she doesn't know what else to do. She's like, well, these guys aren't doing anything. Maybe I need to do something. So she looks in the tomb and she sees that it's empty. And so she's told Peter and John they've not done anything. And so she sees 
that the tomb is not how it should be. And so you can imagine she's close to giving up. She's close to saying, I don't know what else to do. You know, can you relate? Can you relate? A time when you've been beside yourself, you've been lost, you've lacked hope because things aren't going according to plan. Your expectations aren't being met and you just want to give up. You feel like there's no point keep, to keep going. You know, maybe it's a, you're in the, middle of an exa- in the middle of an exam and you're, you're sitting in the exam, you answer the first two questions, you get to the third question and you're like, I didn't revise this. The teacher didn't say to revise this. We didn't cover this in class. And you're thinking, oh my gosh, how am I going to pass this test when I don't even know how to answer the question? And it's almost like I might as well give up. I'm going to miss this question now, and then I'm going to fail the exam. Maybe it's a job interview, or you're going for a promotion, and you're sitting there, and you're thinking, I can't do this. You're nervous, you're scared, you're worried, you feel intimidated, because you just don't know how to get through the interview. Maybe it's friendships or relationship issues. You know, you're not seeing eye to eye with people, you're not getting along. It feels like just things aren't going how you thought it would be when you dreamt about this friendship or this relationship. Or maybe it's something as simple as losing your car keys. And you're looking everywhere, you can't find it, and you think, how do I possibly get to work when I can't find the car keys? You know, all these things can cause us to take our eyes off what it is and just help us to lose focus and become panicked, distressed, whatever it might be. You know, we see with Mary Magdalene, she's in a similar state. She's panicked, she's distressed. She's gone to the tomb. Jesus' body isn't there. She's gone to Simon Peter and John. They don't do anything. And now she looks in the tomb. Jesus' body isn't there. And instead, there's two angels but she's in such a state of distress that she doesn't even recognize the angels for herself. You know, I would imagine that if an angel came before her, there would be something to say that these people aren't normal to us as human beings. There'd be some sort of aura or the way they spoke or the way they stood or sat, however it might be, but something to say, these are angels. These aren't humans like me. But she's in such a state that she doesn't even recognize the angels. And so she speaks to them and she's just wondering where Jesus' body is, but she's all over the place. And then Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up because he's seeing this and he's like, okay, I need to help her. She's not seeing it. She's not understanding. But even in this, as Jesus shows up, she still doesn't recognize Jesus. She assumes him to be the gardener. She says, you know, she's asking, where's the body? Where have you put his body? Let me know so I can go and and get it. I just want to know where Jesus' body is. And so she's so consumed with where Jesus' body is and the state of mourning and distress that she's at that she doesn't even recognize Jesus. You know, I don't know. Maybe she's crying so much that her eyes are blurry. Maybe she doesn't look properly. I, I don't know. But similarly, when you think about the fact that she's followed Jesus for her life, she knows him, but she doesn't recognize him, tells you that Mary is not in a good place at this time. And as Jesus engages her in conversation, she's still distressed. She's still worried. She's still hopeless. And she's really losing sight of everything that's gone before her. You know, distress, worry, hopelessness, these things can cause us to lose sight of what reality really is. It can distort our view of what's going on in our lives, and it can kill our ideas and our dreams. But despite that, despite where Mary's at, Jesus doesn't get stressed. He doesn't get frustrated. He simply says to her, Mary. He says one word, Mary. He calls her by her name, nothing else. But as soon as he says that, it transforms Mary and where she's at. You know, before Jesus says this, Mary is, is, is not described as anything but negatively. It talks about her weeping and crying and mourning, but then Jesus says Mary, and it changes her almost instantly. You know, at that moment, she's probably lacking any sense of belief. Despite knowing Jesus' purpose, his mission, what he was there to do, she's not got any belief. But then Jesus says her name, and everything changes. You know, how are you doing today? 
You know, as you come into, into, into this building, as you talk to people, people may say to you, how are you? How are you doing? How, how's your day been? Or how's your weekend? And I don't know about you, but for myself, sometimes I can answer generically. You know, someone says, oh, how are you doing? I can often be like, oh, I'm not too bad. I'm decent. How are you? Oh, my weekend was great. How was yours? But not really think about what it is I'm actually saying, but just give a generic response and just say, I'm good. You? You know, what's, what's your response? When someone says, how are you doing? What's your response usually when you think about it? Do you actually say, I'm doing well, this is how my day has been, or this is where I'm at, I'm not doing so well, this is what's troubling me, or do you just give the generic response? But it's good for us to actually sit and think, how are we really doing? How are we really doing? You know, not just to give the generic response, but to truly think about where we're at. You know, life has its challenges, its ups and downs. You may be going through something right now. You know, maybe there's something that you've been hoping for for an extended period of time a new job, a relocation, a child getting baptized, improved friendships at school, whatever it might be, and you've been hoping, praying, fasting, getting advice, but it's not happening. It's not happening. Maybe it's simply staying faithful. You know, you're going through different challenges in your life and you're thinking, where is God working through this? I want to stay faithful, but I don't see God. How is Jesus helping me, but yet I'm going through so many challenges in my life? Or perhaps it's getting to know God. You're, you're reading your Bible. You're, you're coming out to church. You're spending time with people and you're seeing who Jesus is, but then there's still things that are pulling you away. You know, this new way of life seems challenging. It seems like you're going to have to deny yourself some things. You're going to have to give up on some things. You have, to, you have to abstain from some things. Wherever you're at, don't give up. Don't give up. You know, when you, when you look back at the passages in, in John 20 and you look at Mary and how she's described, you know, running away from the tomb, weeping outside the tomb, crying outside the tomb. You know, all these things aren't saying that she's in a good place. But we see that as soon as Jesus mentions her name, everything changes. Everything. You know, immediately, Mary Magdalene recognizes Jesus when he says her name. Immediately, Mary Magdalene calms down when Jesus says her name. You know, all before that, there's nothing positive about how Mary Magdalene is described. But once Jesus says her name, it doesn't associate it with crying, weeping, mourning, or running anymore. Jesus changed her life with one word. And in that moment, he's telling her, don't give up. You know, wherever you're at today is okay. It's fine. You know, it may not be great. It may be terrible. It may feel terrible. Or you may be in a great place. Wherever you're at today, it's actually okay. Either way, it's good to stop and think, where is God and how is he calling me? How is he calling me by my name to do something today? Because just like we see with Mary Magdalene and Jesus, Jesus will call you by your name. And he too will provide you with a sense of peace or a sense of hope or a sense of understanding, depending on where you're at. You know, for Mary Magdalene, she was so caught up in Jesus' body not being where it should be for her, she couldn't see him right in front of her. You know, it took Jesus calling her by her name to recognize him. And so the question for us is, are you listening to Jesus today? You know, are you listening to him when he calls your name? You know, or are the worries of life distracting you? Is your own personal agenda stopping you from hearing Jesus this morning? You know, what you think your life should be like, what you think you should be doing next, is that stopping you from hearing Jesus today? You know, Jesus wants to help. He wants to help you. He desires the best for you. But sometimes our hopes and dreams don't align with God. Sometimes we have these dreams of what we want to achieve, and they don't align with God's will for our life. You know, for, like I shared, you know, Temi and I have been working for the church in a full-time capacity for, for almost four years. But that wasn't my dream 
when I got baptized. It wasn't my dream when I graduated university. It wasn't my dream when we got married. And even for both of us, as we, as we spoke about different things we wanted to achieve in our careers, we didn't speak about working for the church in a full-time capacity. You know, we spoke about serving. We spoke about giving back. Um, one of the things we all spoke about was team ministry. We both got baptized as teens, and we felt like it would be great to give back to a ministry that gave so much to us at different times in our lives. But we never spoke about working for the church in a full-time capacity. And so for me, the idea of working for the church wasn't a dream. And then now working for the church in a full-time capacity, the opportunity, the privilege, the honor to do so, there are times when there's challenges. There are times when it doesn't go according to how I think it should or how I want it to be. And sometimes you can feel like, maybe I'm not doing this right. Or maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Maybe somebody else should be doing it. Maybe somebody else has the better qualifications than me. Sometimes I can look and be like, oh, well, this person is a better speaker than me. This person is more educated than me. This person is more eloquent than me. This person fits the bill more than me. Even when Cardiff came about, there were so many things that I looked and said, well, why not this person or that person or this person? Because I was more focused on what I can't do rather than what, what, than what God could do. And there's times when you can feel like wanting to give up. Maybe it's, it's for yourself, it could be something different. It could be your own personal family things going on. You know, I, I remember when I, when I was growing up and making the decision to, to get baptized at 19 years of age, my parents were so grateful because they had prayed for so many years. Um, but I know before that, there were times when I had caused them frustration. Um, I had caused them disappointment. I had caused them to doubt. And I'm sure there's times when they wanted to give up. Because as humans, we can want to give up. When things aren't going our way, we can want to give up. When things don't seem to be going right, we can want to give up. It's easier to give up than to keep going. But even as you see with the image, you see the guy in the green shirt, he's plucking away. The guy in the white shirt, he's given up. Look how close he is. Look how close he is to getting to the diamonds. But it just seems like it won't go in, so he turns around and he gives up. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be the guy that's digging and digging and digging, working and working and working, and then I give up too soon. You know, for us, we need to keep ourselves focused on Jesus and not to give up. You know, Jesus wants to help us, like I shared before, you know. And for us, we, we need to seek first his kingdom, Matthew 6, 33. We must trust in God with all we have, Proverbs 3. And remember that for God, time is nothing. You know, 2 Peter 3, verse 8 talks about a day being a thousand years and a thousand years being like a day for God. For God. Time for God is nothing. So what may seem for us as not working in the right times, in the right methods, for God, the timing is perfect. You know, wherever you're at in your journey with God, the timing is perfect. He's working something through you in your life for a specific point for you to get somewhere. Nothing is wasted with God. Wherever you're at with your journey, please don't give up. Instead, if it is difficult, if you're finding things hard, if you're not quite sure, pause. Pause and listen to God. Listen to Jesus and listen to him calling your name. You know, he might be standing right in front of you and you may not see it because you're caught up with the worries of life. He may be calling your name, but instead of hearing your, na hear your name, you're hearing everybody else around you. Your family, your friends, society, culture, social media. All these things may be calling your name instead of Jesus because you're not hearing him. You know, when you think about not giving up and where you're at today, you know, is your hope in Jesus who rose from the dead? A man who literally rose from the dead and walked again? Or is your hope in yourself and your own abilities, what you can do, what you can achieve? And secondly, you know, will you listen to Jesus when he calls you above the worries and the distractions? You know, when you're, when you're walking down the road and the spirit may be saying to you, 
yeah, talk to that person about your faith. Or help that homeless person who has less than you. Or call up a brother and sister and just see, encourage them and see how they're doing. Or will you listen to the, I need to get to work. Or I've got to go and pick up the kids. Or I want to go and chat to my friend. Or I've got, which voice will you listen to? You know, as we, as we wrap up, as we conclude, you know, looking at Jesus and Mary Magdalene, they experienced life together. They've done it together, you know. They did it together. You know, Jesus saved her and he gave her a new opportunity. He looked past her current situation. He looked past her demon-possessed nurse. He didn't look at her and say, well, you're ostracized from society. I'm going to leave you as well. You know, he gave her an opportunity and she grabbed it with both hands. She grabbed it with both hands and she was so grateful that she decided to follow Jesus for the rest of her life. You know, will you take your opportunity today to follow Jesus, to serve him, to know him for the rest of your life? Are you, will you be grateful for the opportunity to serve him and to see how he can change your life for the better? And secondly, don't give up. Don't give up. You know, Mary Magdalene was on her last legs. She wasn't sure where things were going. She felt like nothing was going the way she thought it should be. But yet Jesus came through in that very moment. In that moment when she didn't see what was going to happen next, Jesus came and said, Mary, and changed her life once more. You know, for you, is Jesus calling you today? How is he calling you? How is he calling you? How is he saying your name? But secondly to that, will you listen to him call you? Will you listen to him whether things are going well or not? Whether it's not in your plan or not, will you listen to Jesus calling to you and telling you, don't give up in this moment? I pray that this has been helpful and thank you so much once again. God bless.